Thank you for listening, but please be advised that I don't just believe shit I hear in podcasts, and I hope you don't either. Be skeptical and look into things for yourself. If you find that I was wrong about something, the best thing you can do for me is to let me know. You can do that at livingthroughextinction at gmail.com. Please also be aware of the fact that I do swear and I don't bleep anything out, as I still struggle a bit with editing. So, listener discretion is advised. Oh, and an extra bit of warning for y'all here. If you don't like it when I talk about religion or politics, you will probably want to skip this entire episode, and maybe even the next. This one drops on the National Day of Reason, and I'm dedicating it to religion in places where it does not belong. Which includes politics, and something tells me this is going to turn into two episodes. And this is episode 84 of Living Through Extinction, a short to the point podcast with science and skepticism, environment and wildlife, and stuff I find cool that I want to learn more about. The National Day of Reason is the first Thursday of May, which this year lands on May 4th. Yes, I know this is also a very important Star Wars day. The National Day of Reason was created by the American Humanist Association and the Washington Area Secular Humanists in opposition to the National Day of Prayer. It's described as a secular celebration for humanists, atheists, secularists, and freethinkers who deem the National Day of Prayer to be unconstitutional, which, by their own constitution, it actually is. It completely violates church and state separation. Funny how a certain demographic of people only care about certain parts of the constitution, but never ever talk about this one. In celebration of it landing on one of my release dates this year, I'm going to be talking about religion in places where it doesn't belong, at least for this episode, and probably the next. I want to talk about why it doesn't belong in politics, schools, or healthcare, how bringing religion into politics destroys democracies, and more. Since I normally end with a positive or sharing segment, I'll be finishing off these ones with sharings, talking about a few of my own personal experiences growing up as a non-believer in a Roman Catholic family. I think. Or I might chicken out and edit this part out. I should probably see how this progresses before making any promises. If you've joined me before, then thank you so much for returning. I seriously do appreciate you. If this is your first time listening to Living Through Extinction, welcome. I hope you find it both fun and informative. And if you're interested in supporting the show, all the possible ways are listed after the final segment and thank yous. They say, well, where else would we get morality from? That seems to be where a lot of people go to. But that's insulting to you and to me and actually to everyone in this room, that the yeah. thought that we couldn't do the right thing if we didn't believe in a celestial dictatorship mm-hmm. that would offer us either a horrible punishment or a divine reward. Well, that, you know, we know how to do the right thing, thanks, without being blackmailed in that way. You know, you always hear... It seems to me what Christians are saying is revealing about themselves. It's as if a Christian is telling you, I wouldn't be doing the right thing. I'd be raping and pillaging and thieving and perjuring <laughs> if it wasn't for Jesus. Well, that's a very odd position to be holding, isn't it? Where to begin? Where to begin? When it comes to my outspokenness against religions, the two questions I've had asked the most of me are why I'm critical of religion and why I'm vocally critical of Christianity more than I am of Islam. The second is the quick and easy one to answer. While critical of all religions, I am obviously most vocal about that which most affects me. Why would anyone in North America be worried about Islam, unless they're looking to free people stuck in Islamic societies? Or unless they've been brainwashed by propaganda, I guess. 
the only religious belief system we have ever had to fear. Where I live is Christianity. But in 2016 and 2017, propaganda convinced all the naive of my nation that Muslims were the real threat. So every time I posted about yet another Christian-based atrocity, be it religiously defended abuse or religiously defended bigotry, they would get all whiny in my feed with, why do you constantly bash Christians and never bash Muslims? In the beginning, I took the high road. Reasonable and rational. I would ask these people if they consider sharing facts and things that actually happened bashing, because as far as I could tell, that's all I had ever done. I would also ask them to provide an example of me bashing Christianity outright and promise to publicly apologize and remove it if they came up with something. They never did. The reason for that is all I ever did was share stuff that was actually happening, and everyone knew there was nothing there that could be refuted. It was just facts. If the sharing of facts based around your belief system is upsetting to you, Maybe it's the belief system and not the messenger you should be upset with. Oh, and the ironic part? The same people, every time, whined about Alex Jones losing free speech rights when platforms refused to carry him. So, yeah, they would defend him speaking his hateful bullshit mind, but not me sharing facts, because those facts hurt their little feelings. Sorry, that got demeaning. As I said, I started by taking the high road. A person can only take so much before they start to bite back, right? I was patient for years as I watched people I know and love turned into monsters by the most ridiculous propaganda. At some point, I realized my mental health was better off with certain people not in my day-to-day -day life anymore, and that I was too old to be wasting my precious personal time on them. So the worst have been cut out for years now, and my life is absolutely better for it. When I speak up against Christianity, it's not because I don't see fault in Islam as well. It's because this is where the people I know and love exist. This is where I exist. And the only religious belief system at risk of being put into law in any of North America is Christianity. That's it. There is no other religion for me to be speaking up against. That's the answer to question two. The first question about why I'm critical of religion overall is quite a bit harder and longer to answer. It will kind of be answered in more detail as this and probably the next episode continue, but will again, of course, be more focused on why I'm critical of religion here, of Christianity in particular. But a quick summary of the first things that come to mind are biblically defended abuse, biblically defended slavery, biblically defended child marriage, extreme hypocrisy, faith-based neglect of children and elders, abstinence-only education, teaching shame to children, parsonage exemptions from charity laws, and healthcare sharing ministries. I'll be going into more detail on most of these along with some other topics as this and probably the next episode progresses. A lot of this month's segments are going to be skeptical in nature, making it feel redundant to have a specific skeptical segment in these episodes. So let's jump to environment. Why is religion a problem when it comes to the health of the planet and the quality of the air we breathe? Because religious extremists make up the largest number of people who don't understand or even believe that we as humans are affecting the quality of the atmosphere of our planet. They have the misguided notion that only their God can do that. And unfortunately, religious extremists end up being almost all from the same political parties. In the US, the only party with religious extremists is the Republican Party. In Canada, we have two. The Conservatives are made up of a large enough number, for sure. But then we have that other party, the one that didn't win any seats in the last election. They're made up completely of religious extremists. PPC? Is that the name? Whatever, they won't matter until they gain actual seats. So we have these entire political parties, the majority of which are Christian extremists, and they are responsible for bringing forth and passing bills that affect everything and everyone, including the environment. 
Their ignorant belief system is holding them back from being able to see and accept what is happening right before all of our eyes. They can't believe that we as humans could possibly do anything to their gods or anything and everything that happens in our environment is his doing and will in their eyes. So they vote against doing anything about it. They refuse to take part in group efforts to make things better. They refuse to be a part of the solution and in fact keep making things worse by stopping those who actually want to keep the world livable for future generations. The last time Republicans were in power, they did everything they could to roll back previous efforts to do better when it comes to climate and air quality. For many, it's about money from fossil fuels. But for many, it's all because of the religious belief system. It will not allow them to acknowledge the facts in this case, so they will never take positive action. Ever. That's just a little bit about why religion, in particular religion and politics, is bad for the environment. Let's take a bit of a look at why it's a bad thing that religious-based schools are exempt from the rules and curriculums that all other schools are held to. Reality and the treatment of women are the biggest issues that I see in these areas. First of all, they deny reality. One part of that denial is evolution. They teach that it is not real, they tell outright lies about what we know about it to make it sound ridiculous to their students, and they teach the biblical creation fable as though it is actual physical historical fact. And they are allowed to do so, which is doing harm. I couldn't even count the number of people I've heard tell their stories about coming out of one of these schools and then one of these colleges and then trying to get a job out in the real world with those credentials. It's how many of them get stuck in it forever. They can't get jobs in the real world, so they end up working and teaching at these schools and colleges and never get a chance to discover the outside world at all. How can anyone say that a disservice is not being done to these kids in the name of religion? There's no way they would get away with this kind of disinformation in schools if religion were not given special privileges in our nations. Another part of their denial is human sexuality. Everything about it. There is a higher rate of teen pregnancies and STDs in these schools for a reason. They are being deprived of a proper education in these areas. Everything beautiful about our bodies, everything that gives us pleasure, it's either taught as shameful or not taught at all in these schools. Teaching a child to be ashamed of normal, natural curiosity and exploration is child abuse. It does damage that actually follows children for their entire lives. We know this. And teaching abstinence-only education is the best way to end up with pregnant children and schools ripe with STDs. There is literally no defense for it. It's wrong and should not be allowed in a civilized society. The secondary education institutions like this are nightmare places for women to exist in. They have extremely high rates of reported sexual assaults where the woman is punished and the man is not. Look into Liberty University, for example. It's like a regular thing over there. The number of women who have come out of there with their experiences after reporting assaults is huge. And the way each and every one of their cases was handled is absolutely unacceptable in most civilized societies. What reason do they give for punishing the woman? Usually she had a drink. That's all it takes. You see, having a drink is forbidden, and if she admits to doing so when reporting the rape, then she's suspended for breaking school rules. There are no school rules in writing in relation to sexual assault, though, so the man usually stays without punishment. This has become the norm at this school, to the point where most women don't feel it's worth it to report being assaulted anymore. Guess the rapists win at Liberty U. That's just life for women who attend these Christian-based institutions. How sad. That's just two factors, and frankly, I think they're enough. How are schools allowed to outright and knowingly lie to their students every day? 
How do they get away with punishing rape victims and taking no action against rapists? Because they are religious-based schools, and that means they do not have to follow the rules. They are allowed to teach fables as history, and they are permitted to have practices that are mentally and physically harmful to their students. Because religion. The only time religion is appropriate in an education environment is when it is a course in world religions and their histories. What they are getting away with at places like Liberty U is the kind of thing we expect in the Middle East, but that never should have been allowed here in North America. Doing so was a mistake, and people have suffered and are suffering because of this mistake. Next, I want to talk a little bit about religion in healthcare. This one is a very big deal and constantly doing harm. As of 2020, 394 of the short-term acute care hospitals in the U.S. were run by the Catholic Church, along with 864 of the urgent care centers. Four of the 10 largest healthcare systems in the United States are affiliated with the Catholic Church. Why is this a problem? Well, for one, many are not clear that they are a Catholic hospital, either in their name or in their advertising. And second, none provide the information up front about what care they will not provide or even support. Patients are at the mercy of the hospital's religious beliefs, and it's not like they always have a choice. If in an accident, you'll probably be taken to the nearest emergency facility. And in many places, a Catholic-run hospital is the only option. And it's not just abortions they refuse to care for. None of these hospitals will provide care or support for ectopic pregnancies, which are completely non-viable and a risk to the life of the woman. None of them will provide any form of birth control, vasectomies, tubal ligations. None support sperm donation, surrogacy, or even in vitro fertilization. These procedures are all unacceptable to them. The choices we should be able to make about our own health and bodies are extremely limited or even taken away completely at these Catholic-run hospitals. And there may be no indication that what you require is care they will not offer until you are there and in need of a procedure. It's shameful to have supposed healthcare facilities like this in North America. Religion does not belong in our healthcare systems, period. Before my sharing bit for this episode, I want to talk a bit about religion and parenting. Raising a child in one of these belief systems is often abusive. Children are taught they are sinners. How's that not abuse? Children are taught about hell. Again, totally child abuse to put ideas like eternal torment in a child's head. I've listened to a lot of coming out of religion stories, and the teaching of hell is something that for some takes years of therapy to get over. So many of them consider it to have been abusive, and they are correct. There is no reason to instill that kind of fear in young children the way they like to do in Christianity. They teach their kids that everything sexual is sinful or shameful. They teach their kids to be ashamed of who they are if they happen to be on the rainbow spectrum. They teach their children to fear or hate people who are different from them. And then there's the faith healing. Christians get away with what for anyone else would be criminal neglect or negligent homicide. Six states in the U.S. allow parents to deny life-saving medical care to their children if they say they did it in the name of their religion, specifically Christianity. In six states, parents can allow their children to suffer horribly and ultimately die without ever doing anything other than praying and they will not suffer any consequences for it. What? 
a lazy, neglectful parent can just claim they believed in faith healing and left the life of their child in their God's hands, and they will not be punished. In six states! And you can bet that with the theocratic takeover, that number is going to go up. A specific example recently discussed on the January 19th episode of The Friendly Atheist is the Followers of Christ denomination in Idaho. This small denomination of Christians believes in prayer over care. They have lost eight children in two and a half years because of these practices. One child in particular had simple strep throat. They should have been treated and lived a long, normal life. But no, that poor soul was born to parents who believed in faith prayer over medical science. So they're dead now. And they went horribly. They suffered terribly and died slowly over a six-week period. And guess what? No neglect charges have been brought against the parents. No negligent homicide charges. No manslaughter charges. Nothing. Because of Christian privilege to get away with what nobody else in America could ever get away with. And it's conservatives who are allowing this to continue. It's conservatives who fought for and who continue to fight for these parents to have the right to neglect their kids to death with no consequences. Yet they can't handle the thought of a cluster of cells that may or may not become a child someday being terminated, no matter the suffering of the woman who may be carrying it. If you want a conservative to give a shit about you, you have to have not been born yet. After that, torture to death is fine. At least for women and children, anyway. A quote from Jessica Bloomkey Grief on that episode of The Friendly Atheist I mentioned put it very well. They take their faith more seriously than they take their own family and their own children. And that is, I think, something to be afraid of. Unquote. And I couldn't agree with her more. That's enough segments for today. I am going to continue the subject matter on the next episode with some political segments. I said I'd end this with a sharing, so here's a little peek at my first questions about the whole God thing. I was very young when the religion I was being raised in was already not making sense to me. The three earliest memories I have of questioning all occurred in Long Lac, Ontario, so I was six years old or younger for sure. We moved from there to Lynn Lake, Manitoba when I was six. So while I can't give exact ages, I was definitely six or under for each of these interactions. The first was while my mom was washing dishes and I was drying them and my dad sat nearby at the kitchen table. My mom was talking about God and how he created everything, but I had a question. As I look back on that question, it seems obvious and reasonable to me. If God created everything, then who created God? She told me that God had just always been, and that broke my young brain. I think this may have led to my very first anxiety attacks, though I didn't know that's what was happening at the time. I'd lay in bed at night trying to wrap my head around forever. God has just always been there. Forever. And it turned out trying to wrestle with the idea of the immensity of eternity was just too much for me at that age. My heart would start to race. I would start to sweat. I'd actually physically shake my head in order to stop myself from thinking about it. I had to keep it pushed out of my mind because every time I tried to think about it, I had the same physical reaction. I figure I was just way too young to be contemplating such huge things. My second question was also directed at my mother. She was reading me Bible stories and had just finished the fable of Abraham being commanded to kill his son. What in the world would make any parent think a story like this is okay to tell children? I will never understand that. This story terrified me. I thought it was a horrible, horrifying story. My mom said that God would have never let him kill his son, but he had to know he was willing to. And that did not make me feel any better. I asked if my dad would be willing to kill me if he thought God was telling him to. And my mom's answer was that God would never do that. But that didn't make me feel better at all. (laughs) The third time I questioned was because of TV. 
My dad was a news junkie, kind of like I am now. He would have the TV on whatever channel was telling the news of the world at the time. I couldn't tell you what show he was watching, whether it was just a daily news or what. I have no idea. I just remember what I saw that caused me to ask the questions I asked. And that was violence. People were attacking other people, and I didn't understand why. Not just why they would hurt people, but why would they risk going to hell for that? So I asked my dad, why weren't they afraid to go to hell? Because from everything I'd been taught in my short life so far, what they were doing, what I was watching them do on TV, would send them to hell. Hell, as I mentioned earlier, being a concept I never should have had in my head at that age. But Christianity encourages such teachings. It's sick. His response was the beginning of the end of my belief. Though I didn't have my full actual realization until three to four years later, I never looked at religion the same again after that conversation with my dad. His response, when I asked why they weren't worried about going to hell, was that the people there believed in a different God than we do. Wait, what? That's possible? But I thought there was only one God, I said, and his response was simply, there is. They believe in the wrong one. Of course, I had more questions. How do we know which one is the real one? His response to that? Oh, you don't have to worry about that. Our God is real God. They're wrong. My next question? Do they believe they are right and we are wrong? Yes, yes they do, he responded. My next question? <laughs> do they believe they are right and we are wrong as much as we believe we are right and they are wrong? And surprisingly, he admitted this fact. He said, yes, they do. So my obvious final question was, so how do we know who's right? And his final response was, you don't have to worry about it. We are right. And while I left it at that, rather than get him mad at me, those answers never worked in my brain. I knew that what he was saying didn't make sense somehow, but didn't know how to voice it yet. Today, looking back, I know now that he was just making assertions without evidence. Oh, how we would have fought if he had lived to see my skeptical days. I would have eventually started to call him on his bullshit and start calling out his fallacies, and he would have never been able to handle that. Those were the first questions I dared ask my parents about the whole God thing. And not one of their answers to any of my questions made any sense to me. Even then. That's all the time I have for this subject matter for this episode. Please join me in two weeks when I will finish with my Religion Where It Doesn't Belong segments in honor of the National Day of Reason. Thank you for listening. May your health and sanity continue to be replenished daily. My eternal gratitude goes out to the following people. Jason Martin for helping me get started on this project three years ago. I wouldn't be doing this right now if not for him. Kathy Rayner for her musical contribution on the violin. Paul Palmer for his musical contribution on the guitar. He can be found at WPG Suitcase Drummer on Instagram. Dustin Harder for composing and recording the intro and outro for the show. You can find him on Instagram at Prairie Soul Music. And finally, thank you to my family, who are my entire world. I hope you will choose to join me again in two weeks for episode 85 of Living Through Extinction. If you enjoy Living Through Extinction and would like to support the show, the best ways to do so are to subscribe and rate and to comment and like positive comments on your favorite podcast player. Or you can help out by following, liking, and sharing on all the social medias. The show can be found under Living Through Extinction on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and TikTok, and under LTE Pod on Twitter and Hive. There's also a Patreon at patreon.com slash livingthroughextinction. There you can earn stickers, pins, masks, and more, as well as help me plant some trees. If you have any comments, corrections, questions, or suggestions, please email them to livingthroughextinction at gmail.com or message me through one of the social medias. 